Thank you. Please stand for our scripture reading tonight for the sermon from Luke 13. And we're continuing to work through Luke. And tonight we're going to cover two parables or illustrations of Christ. Luke 13, starting in verse 18. And we'll go to 21. So Luke 13, starting in verse 18. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was leaven. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go to prayer. Father, as we partake of this meal now, of this passage of your word, Father, would your spirit illuminate our hearts, to know it, to understand it, to apply it, and to live it. Amen. Now, in this uh, portion of Luke, we have two parables tonight. So that's exciting. Two parables in one sitting. So what we always need to do first, right, before you just take a little cut out of a passage, is we need to step back and understand our context, right? What is the context? It's always important to understand what's going on in the bigger picture before you just take a sound bite out of, out of the Bible. So, remember, Jesus began chapter 13 with talking about truth and repentance and the work of God in and through repentance. And maybe he brought that through the parable of the fig tree. You might remember that. And then it, it changes a bit to where he goes into a scene where Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. Remember that? That's what we talked about last week. And he heals on the Sabbath. But, of course, Jesus is ridiculed by the synagogue ruler for healing because it was on the Sabbath day. But uh, Jesus, of course, responds and tells the ruler he is a hypocrite because, of course, that ruler that very morning most likely unloosed his own cattle to go drink. Why would he not unloose this daughter of Abraham from her spirit of infirmity? So right after that, we see then Jesus back up. And this is where we're going to go tonight. He backs up to give a bigger, wider perspective of the kingdom of God. And so, as we step into this, and children, children, think about this for a minute. What is the kingdom of God? If somebody said, Carson, could you tell me, could you explain to me, what is the kingdom of God? Could you do that? It's not a very clear concept, is it? And we'll see, it's also called other things in the Bible as well. But let's first discuss Let's understand before we go into these parables, because Jesus is going to tell us what the kingdom of God is like. So let's for a minute just try to describe it, okay? So I think the simplest way to think about the kingdom of God would be to say it's God's reign. It's God's reign. His rule, his hand, his majesty over all. I like how uh, John Piper actually summarizes it this way. He says, God sits as king on his throne of the universe and his kingly rule, his kingdom and his reign that governs all things. That's the kingdom of God, right? And so really we see that this basic meaning of that word kingdom in the Bible is God's kingly rule, his reign, his his, his constant action, his lordship, his sovereign governance over all things. And, and we should ask, well, what's happening in this kingdom? You know, is this a kingdom of castles and peasants and 
forests and prairies and lakes and beautiful things like that? Well, could be. But we know that his kingdom, kingdom rule is to do what? It is to save and redeem. That's the purpose of this kingdom. This kingdom is set forth with a mission, we could say, with a goal. And its duty, its job, its role, its overwhelming, its overwhelming transforming power is to save and redeem. That's what this kingdom does. Long ago, there was kingdoms, and they were big into agriculture. And some kingdoms were big into uh, sending out ships around the world. This kingdom saves and redeems. So in this kingdom, God's people are redeemed through his power and grace. And what are, they do- what are these people doing? Well, they are triumphing, triumphing over sin and death and Satan by the power of the king, the work of the king. So the kingdom of God ushers in this truth, and it grows. And it's not the kingdom of the world that's centered around temporal things, carnal things. You might remember Romans fourteen seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And God's reign in this, his people are citizens not of this world, but they're citizens of his kingdom. And so we see the kingdom is present. It is now, but it is also future. It is a, it is a kingdom, as we read in Revelation. It's, it's he who was and is and is to come. It's this forever coming kingdom. And in both of these parables we're going to look at, we see a very similar picture. We see one really of an unfolding. Children, you know what unfolding means? An expansion of the kingdom of God that's continually happening. And we actually say this in the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. We said it this morning. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the same kingdom we're talking about. You children, we all pray this. Thy kingdom come. This is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not so much, it's not so much a place physically, although you could say it is, but it's rather God's sovereign action in the world to redeem and deliver a people, and then at such a future time to finish it and renew his people and the universe completely and fully. Now, you might recall that sometimes, like in the book of Matthew, uh, in Matthew it's actually referred to as the kingdom of heaven. You might remember that, the kingdom of heaven. Remember, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, some say, actually, Jesus did this out of respect for the Jews that were present to avoid mentioning the sacred name of God as the kingdom of God, as they would, as Yahweh. But regardless, these are very, very similar meanings. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is talking about the same picture of God's reign and rule. And so I just want to read some familiar passages. This this phrase, the kingdom of God, you're probably familiar with it. You've heard it a lot. It's, it's all over the Gospels. It's out throughout the, 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 the Bible. But I just want to read some, and this will help us understand what this is, the kingdom of God. From Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. From Acts 28. Then Paul, who dwelt two whole years in his own rented house... 
and received all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, there it is, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then from John 3, Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, just learn something there. What it takes to see the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God's is, is the rule and reign of the eternal, sovereign God over all. And in that kingdom, he is ultimately victorious. So, let's go back to our text and take a look at these two parables. Because Jesus is really trying to explain what the kingdom of God is like, he says. So let's take a look at the first one in verse 18. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden... And it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now, who has ever seen a mustard seed? Maybe that Jesus is talking. You've seen one? Is it big, small? What would you say? If I was holding one up here, could you see it in my hands? I thought about bringing one tonight, but then I realized you couldn't even see it. So that gives you an idea of how small this thing is. And uh, one of the things that... That's very clear about this illustration that I love is it gives us a beautiful picture. This is something that starts very small and grows very large. Big enough even for the birds to nest in it like a tree. And we see this as different than like, think of corn. You ever driven maybe through Nebraska? So much corn. But this is different than corn, isn't it? Corn seed is actually a lot bigger, but also... The thing about corn is it's very, I would say, perishable. It grows up, and you're not going to see that same corn stalk next fall, are you? No, that thing is gone. But a mustard seed has a much more permanence to it. In a tree-like type of bush thing, we would call it. It has a permanence to it. And this is very telling about the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, as it were. It grows slowly, and so it is with the kingdom of God. And so... Some were expecting, maybe still expecting, the kingdom of God to rush in fast with some grand entrance, overwhelming the whole earth. And that there is a day for that, and we see that. But it is, grow, it is growing at a pace according to God's perfect timing. And we now clearly know that this is not how the Messiah came, did it? He did not come in some you know, phenomenal way that really shattered everyone's expectations of what he was. In fact, came in a very different way. So, we're, so, so much so even the people of God were, were suspicious and not sure about the Messiah, were they? And I want you to put yourselves into the shoes of the average Jewish child of God at that time. You're, you're, you're part of the, the people of God. You, you expect the Messiah to come. You know the Messiah is coming. But then this man comes on the scene. He is declared to be the Messiah, but it's not really what you expected. Because this man, this man, first of all, your religious leaders, the Pharisees and synagogue rulers, are condemning him. And you're thinking, my leaders are saying he's not the guy. And then you find he's not that impressive. In fact, he has no form or comeliness, no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And then he hangs out with tax collectors and fishermen. 
and former women that were spiritually possessed. This is who he hangs out with. And so you're thinking, can this man save us? Is, is this the man? Is this man's ministry really going to blossom into something that's going to save the, all the people of God? It would take, what would it take to know that? It would take eyes to see and ears to hear, as Revelation says. So not normal ears, but eye, eyes and ears that can understand the things of God, the coming kingdom of God. You could call these ears that are set apart, that are different, that God has called out, as it were, to understand what God is doing in this time. You might remember, that's what Jesus explained in Matthew 13, when he was asked, why do you speak in parables? And he gave the reason why. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This has to be given. Understanding is given by faith in God. Furthermore, and you might remember Peter, remember on Pentecost in Acts, remember he preaches effectively at Pentecost, and he tells the Jews at that time that they put Jesus to death because they didn't understand. But that was all for, for the, for, in the foreknowledge of God. Peter said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, crucified him, and put him to death. So, Jesus says this kingdom of God starts small, and it will grow, and it will be revealed more and more right before them. So let's first summarize what we've learned from the parable of the mustard seed, and then we're going to go on to the parable of the leaven. So first of all, we see it starts small. And it's not very impressive at first, compared to maybe some of the other kingdoms. It grows slowly, it takes time, and this is, this is instructive to us because we know that this is awaiting on the Lord and his perfect timing. God, not only as he's building his kingdom, he sanctifies his people by waiting on him. And what happens over time in this building of the kingdom of God? Well, in time, preaching goes out. It spreads to all the nations, just kind of like that mustard plant. The mustard plant in the description here was an herb much bigger than all the other herbs in the herb garden. And it would kind of stretch and reach out, you know, like a pumpkin. It just like takes over the vines. It's like, hey, mustard seed, leave some room for some other plants in here. No, we just take over slowly in time. In time, generations are raised up to bring forth the gospel. In time, nations rise and fall according to the providence of the kingdom of God. In time, the, word, the world is filled with his glory and his people. Now, the mustard seed, as we said, it, it results in this large plant, bigger than the other herbs, and it gives us that picture of the kingdom of God triumphing or eventually becoming the largest obvious kingdom to all. It's the most powerful, most significant, reigning of all. This is the kingdom of our God. And I actually did a little bit of research about this mustard seed and this mustard plant. I didn't really know much about the mustard plant, particularly the one that Jesus was referring to here, it turns out it's very different than all the other herbs in the little herb garden that most Jews would have at that time. It's a very different plant. 
And that very in itself is instructive. Jesus is saying, this kingdom of mine is very different than all these other kingdoms you're going to see rise and fall out there. The mustard seed tree, which turns into a tree, can live 80 to 95 years. Very long. It can grow up to 20 feet high. And it has an abundance of uses. And the seeds are phenomenally rich. Perhaps it said one of the richest seeds in vitamins and nutrients. So it's just very very rich, very uh, powerful, and it's potent, as it were. And so is the kingdom of God. So it's a beautiful picture for us. So let's take a look at the second parable in verse 20. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Now what is leaven? Anybody know? Yeast? It might be a good yep, term for it. Yeast, we, we, we are common with that today, kind of a fermenting agent that you throw into bread or dough of some sort, expands it, right? Fermenting action adds to it. And so we know how that works, right? I think everybody probably in here understands, oh, you know, we know what leaven does, we know what yeast does into the bread. And it's a very similar picture here to the mustard seed and to the kingdom of God. Think about what it does. If you had a batch of bread, dough, put leaven or yeast in one, and you didn't in the other, you know you'd get different results. So we have to think about that when Jesus brings us these pictures. In our parable, we see that the leaven, again, represents the kingdom of God. A couple really neat things about this picture. First of all, it works silently, doesn't it? It's just this, it's the way God works in his timing. It comes in, it's almost like the loaf of bread is sitting there. It doesn't know that there's still some extra ingredient in it and something that's going to take form in a different way, but it really affects it. It really, really does. Secondly, it's activating, isn't it? That's what it is. I think in some yeast packages, it may even say that, because it's activating yeast. It, it has an activating element. And this is what leaven does, and so is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God brings dead men to life. It resurrects hearts, brings all kinds of blessings with it. And it brings truth and justice and peace and order. It takes something dead and worthless and activates it to life. Now, it says the woman took and hid three measures. Really, we can think about this as she took those three measures, she worked in the leaven into it. Now, what is this three measures about? Well, that was an amount of bread, you could say, or, or bread dough, we would think of it in our terms. It was about 50 pounds, which is a lot, of bread dough, and it would feed about 100 people at the time. And the key is that this leaven is the agent that grows it into abundant bread. Again, it couldn't feed that many people if she hadn't added the leaven. It would feed less people. It, would, it wouldn't produce as much bread, was, would it? And so it is with the kingdom of God. It grows abundantly in this way by the activating work of Christ. Now, notice also, leaven does its work without violence, we would say. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, having your loaf of bread there and then putting a bomb into it or something and it just blows up and, oh, that's how we get a lot of bread. No, that doesn't work like that. It's slow. It's not this physical sort of revolution. And that's, that's a term you hear in our culture today. You know, the, um, small militant organizations, we're going to 
revolt. We're going to have a revolution and take over our country, and we're going to free it from all this tyranny. Well, yes, but that's not exactly how the kingdom of God grows. It's growing in a very intentional way by the sovereign rule of our Lord, yet very efficiently and successfully. Now, compare this to um, Islam. Islam, interestingly, violence is commanded. In fact, there is rewards if you can go and, 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 and do away w- with those that are against right, the kingdom of Islam. If you can tur- put them down or turn them away or even kill them. And so this is not how the kingdom of God works. This is, this is not a, a, a putting away of people. This is a bringing people to the kingdom of God by the saving work of the king. It's very, very different. Read one, uh, one Puritan statement on this. The doctrine of Christ will strangely diffuse its relish into the world of mankind. And in its triumph, the savior of the knowledge of it is uncountably made manifest in every place beyond what one could have expected. And I think if you think of leaven, it makes sense. It diffuses in. And all of a sudden, this bread that was just sitting there is overtaken. The whole thing is spread about, spread about and it, it completely changes the nature of it. And so, with those two parables in mind, I just want to conclude our time with a few applications. A few applications for us. And, my, and I want to start with a question. Should we be interested in the kingdom of God? Okay. And what should we do with this kingdom of God? What are we to do with it? Jewel, what are we going to do with the kingdom of God? Well, let's start by remembering... The words of Jesus in Matthew 6. He said, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Anybody heard that verse before? Okay. Well, what are you supposed to do? Seek the kingdom of God. So we need to know what the kingdom of God is to seek it, don't we? So the first consideration, the first application, is that we are to seek and pursue the kingdom of God. I love that word pursue, because we don't really use it a lot. I mean, in our culture today, the one place you'll hear it heard is when a police car is in pursuit of the bad guy, right? I mean, it's lights on, it's going as fast as he can. There is, an, there is a energy and activity about it. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we pursue the kingdom of God. This is not just a, okay, when I have time, maybe on Saturday night. No, 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 no. This is a seeking and pursuing, right? This is, this is a constant intentionality. So we seek the kingdom and we see the kingdom of God. It's not just this sort of existent thing. You know, it's not just like um, the church on the hill. It is something to seek and pursue and intentionally live out and towards. So secondly, second application. We need to remember that we are vessels in which God expands and builds his kingdom, which is really incredible, right? Remember, we're the light of the world. Jesus is in us. We are, we are Christ. We are vessels of the Holy Spirit. And so as, as, listen to 2 Corinthians 2. Listen to what this says. 
about what this means for us in Christ and how we should live it out for the kingdom of God. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Kind of reminds us of the leaven picture or that mustard plant growing, diffusing out. For we, for we to God... For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma leading of death leading to death. To the other the aroma of life leading to life. And so this is similar to that diffusing work that we see that leaven doing. That distinct aroma maybe even of the mustard seed, the mustard plant, that herb. And we pray, don't we? I mean all of you parents in here. We pray that our children, that our grandchildren, that our great-grandchildren, that they are what? They are going to seek and pursue the kingdom of God, that they are going to be part of his kingdom-building work, right? We don't want our children on the sidelines. We don't want them building some other kingdom. We want them building the kingdom of God, amen? That's what we want our children involved in. And thirdly, thirdly, spreading the nature of, 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 this, the, of, the, of the gospel and the kingdom of God has resulted in what? What do you think it's also resulted in? Different views of eschatology, hasn't it? And some of you are probably aware of that. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're thinking, how is this going to come to a culmination? How is this all going to end? Are there different views on this? Absolutely. Even in our reformed camps, there's different views on, on the extent, kind of, of the, the kingdom of God. And how Christ will return during all this happening, all this building taking place. Now there's a lot. This could be a whole sermon in itself. So I'll just touch on it. But notice that there's several texts in the Bible. And I'm just going to hit a couple of them. That make, make us consider, okay, well, how is this going to end up? What is going to be the final manifestation of the kingdom of God? For example, Habakkuk 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, the earth's going to be full, filled. How do you interpret that? Okay, how about another one? Um, Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over all the nations. So again, how do you interpret that? When, 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 what is the fullness of the manifestation of the kingdom of God? When does that happen? What's going to be going on in the world? Well, we won't go into that tonight. <laughs> That's for another time. We could do that sometime. But based on one in, one's interpretation of these, it's going to re- result in different views of the end times, right? Of Christ's second coming. But also what's happening right now in the kingdom of God could be viewed differently. Are things getting better or worse? Is the kingdom of God expanding truly? Or are all these nations and kings of the world kind of putting God down? You know, is Christianity dying, so to speak? Well, what is going on? Well, we would encourage, not to get into some of the particulars, we would encourage an optimistic view of the expansion and the building of the kingdom of God, which of course aligns perfectly what we've read tonight and throughout scripture, namely because we already know that our Lord has already won the victory over sin and death by his power. And his ultimate sovereign power cannot be overshadowed by by anything, any work of man. So this view in God's kingdom will affect how you live for God 
It'll affect how you witness. It'll affect how you go to work, right? If you are just waiting for the earth to just completely dive bomb into just nothingness and gross sin so that Jesus can come and save us, it's a very different view than if you believe God's kingdom is expanding, the gospel is spreading more and more. He has us here to, as his agents to build his kingdom, to build churches, ministry, children, businesses, all kinds of things for the glory of God. Those are two very different p- p- pictures on how you live your life, isn't it? So something for ind- individual study. <laughs> now, lastly, the kingdom of God grows in our very lives. In our very lives. This is how we bring his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As I said earlier, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so we see the kingdom, again, is not just, it's not just something there that we can observe. Like, like, a, like even just like a doctrine, which is good. You know, we could take the doctrine of the church, and that's a good thing. But it's not just there to observe. It's, instead, it's a very active thing, again, that we are to seek, that we are to pursue, that we are to move intentionally into and towards. And so when we pray that we would seek and, and move towards the kingdom of God, we are praying for the rule of, and reign of the kingdom of God in our lives as well, right? What, what, what is the growth of the kingdom of God in our lives as a Christian look like? It means sanctification, right? It means growing in holiness. It means mortifying of the flesh. It means growing more into the conformity of Christ. It means Philippians 3, that we would know Christ more and even share in the fellowship of his sufferings and live in communion with God, denying ourselves, picking up our cross, following Jesus. So how are you seeking the kingdom of God? Are you looking for it? Are you actively pursuing the kingdom of God? Do you spread it out? like the leaven? Do you talk about it? Do you live it out? Do you obey the law, the commands, the precepts of this king? Perhaps the best thing you can do to seek the kingdom of God in your life is to glorify him in your life. Your thoughts, your actions, everything you do. Glorifying him means exalting him truly as Lord and king of your life and not putting anything else in his place as ruler and master and king of your walk. Let me read that passage fully now as we close from Matthew 6. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Remember that God knows you better than you know yourself. So trust in him like a little child. With childlike faith, say, my father in heaven, he loves me. He's going to take care of me. He's beat death. He's gained the victory. He holds all things. He holds the whole world in his hands. He made all things. He's sovereign over all. 
He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He never changes. His law is the best for me. His law is the supreme truth of the universe, and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. And I'm at peace. I have joy. I have rest in Jesus, in my Father in heaven. So we, may we actively engage in this kingdom. It's a, it's a phenomenal privilege to even know about and to partake in and be active agents, as it were, in the kingdom of God. The most powerful, amazing, prestigious, eternal, everywhere, universal kingdom is the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for this kingdom that you have come, that you have built, and we, by your mercy, by your abundant grace and love, you have given us to be part of this kingdom and to be part of your kingdom-building work and look with hope at your continual current and coming reign over all. Oh, God, we, we are humbled by this and we give you the glory that we could even be servants, bond servants of Jesus Christ in your kingdom. Oh God, indeed, we rejoice at the thought to be doorkeepers in the house of our God. Oh God, show us the fading away weakness of the king, all other kingdoms of men in this earth and stare straight forward and straight away at the kingdom of our God and step forward in faith to partake and be part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.